0: The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. As we open up uh, God's Word this morning, we focus in on the transfiguration of Jesus. We read about it in the 2 Corinthians passage, and there's also a strange story in the Gospel of Mark. In chapter 9, where Jesus takes a select few disciples and leads them up the mountain. And it says this, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than any in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man rises from the dead. It's the word of the Lord. And that is a strange story. As even as we were um, praying before the service, uh, it was going through my head how, how much is going on on a Sunday like this. Transfiguration Sunday is just one, you know, dot on the Christian calendar. It comes right before the big event of Lent as we prepare ourselves to go on a journey beginning Ash Wednesday. And this story, where Jesus rips back the veil of his person and shows us who he really is. In the movie, The Tourist, Elise Clifton Ward, who's played by Angelina Jolie, longs to be reunited with her true love, Alexander Pierce. And Alexander Pierce happens to be a thief and uh, a wanted man. And so, and I apologize for the spoiler here, but this is a perfect illustration. And as a, as a pastor, I couldn't let it go. So uh, bear with me. So this movie, The Tourist, begins with Elise receiving this mysterious letter from her lover, uh, Alexander Pierce, who tells her to board a train, a specific train, and find a man with his height and build and make people think it's him. So she goes on this train, and she looks around, and she sees someone who's about Alexander Pierce's height and build, and she chooses him, and it turns out to be an ordinary math teacher named Frank Tepello from Wisconsin. But as the movie progresses, this ordinary math teacher finds himself caught in the mix as the mobster and the police and Elise are all caught, and they're looking for Alexander Pierce. But then a striking thing happens. Elise, who is looking, longing to be reunited with Alexander Pierce, begins to fall in love with this ordinary tourist. And this all comes to a head in in a final scene where um, Elise and Frank are in the same space together and, and Frank turns to her and says, Do you love me? Elise responds, I do. Then Frank says, how do you feel about Alexander Pierce these days? And Elise says, I love him too, unfortunately. Then Frank, the ordinary math tourist, says to her, I may have a solution for you. He turns to a bank safe that's in the same room a bank safe that only Alexander Pierce would have known the combination for and he types it in and unlocks it. He rips back the veil and shows Elise who he really is. What's so striking is that throughout this whole movie Elise was getting glimpses of the man that she loved but was not exactly sure until that final moment when he revealed himself to her who he really was. See, many of us, I think, find ourselves in similar shoes to Elise. We go through life with hints, longings, for life to be more than what is in front of us. We go through with a constant hum of homesickness, and and even more accentuated now, is the literal homesickness we all feel for this pandemic to be over. For us to be able to hug our kids and grandkids, to travel to see people, to be without the restrictions of lockdown. Or maybe for you, it's homesickness for intimacy. Intimacy with someone who you haven't found yet and are looking for, or someone who you've recently lost. C.S. Lewis talks about this in his great essay called The Weight of Glory. He, he calls this homesickness the great and inconsolable secret that we all bear. He says that it, all of these moments in our lives where we, we, we feel, we long for life to be different, like an itch that we can't quite reach in the middle of our back, it points out to us that we were actually created for something more. On that mountain, as Jesus invites Peter and James and John with him, he rips back the curtain and he shows us what that more looks like. He says to them, It's me. I'm the glory of God. I'm the one you've been looking for. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one to scratch the itch. I'm glory like frank the tourist jesus rips back the curtain and shows us that he's the one that we're longing for in our midst right in front of us but now okay glory that sounds so uninteresting you know that sounds so religious that sounds so boring maybe you're sitting there thinking i don't really care about glory what is this transfiguration for me how does it matter to me right now well What I've realized this week is that whether or not we recognize it, we are all chasing glory. And so that's what I want to look at this morning. Just two points for us. Chasing glory and receiving glory. So first, chasing glory. If Jesus you know, does reveal his glory to his disciples, then we can learn a little bit about what it is by looking at this story on the mountain. So I just want to read part of it again for us. It says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were alone. And there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Let's just stop there. Did you notice two things about glory in that passage? I think one of them probably stands out more than the other and so let's look at it first, right? Jesus became dazzling white Yeah, his clothes became white whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them Now this shouldn't really surprise us. I mean if you have any knowledge of the Bible you know that one of the most common ways for God's glory to be shown to us is through whiteness, brightness, purity. When, uh, when Moses climbed Mount Sinai and met with God and he came back down, his face reflected that glory. It was a dazzling white. And there are many more images of white brightness connected to God's glory in the Bible. And it means purity, perfection, without shame, without guilt. But what's so fascinating is that though this purity is God's, this glory is God's, the perfection is God's, it's actually what we were all created to reflect, right? The Bible teaches us that we were made in God's image and likeness. We were made to reflect and participate in His glory. The Bible tells us that we were made for God's very presence. And you know what this means is that actually we need to be seen as clean and pure. It's it's hardwired, built into us. It's something we cannot escape and we cannot shake. We're chasing this purity, this perfection in our lives. In Jesus' day, the religious leaders chased this by achieving the law. For them, perfect in the eyes of God was following and abiding by all the rules of the law, making sure all the I's were dotted, the T's were crossed. They were following all 613 commandments. That was what it was about. This is why it's so radical that when Jesus appears on the scene, he comes and he ups the law in the Sermon on the Mount. Famously, you know, he repeats over and over throughout that sermon he says you've heard that it was said now i say to you and he makes it impossible to look at that law and to justify our purity by trying to do it i mean after all which one of us has never lied or gotten angry Are you still under the impression that your works alone can make you pure? You know, Jonathan Edwards once put it like this in a sermon. He said, All of your righteousness would have no more influence to uphold you or keep you out of hell than a spider's web could stop a falling rock. I mean, what happens when a a falling rock comes on a spider's web? It just goes gone, right? Right? Jesus' teaching offends the religion in us, offends the self-serving perfection. We aren't pure. We aren't white. And we, quite frankly, can't figure out how to get there on our own. Glory is purity. Glory is perfection. The second thing we see in this transfiguration of, of glory is with words. Peter, James, and John are consumed by a cloud representing the presence of God, and they hear God's booming voice saying, This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to him. Jesus shone bright and is recognized by God, loved by God, accepted by God. C.S. Lewis points out that glory can be understood also as a desire for applause. Glory is acceptance. Glory is acknowledgement. Glory is being welcomed into the heart of things. You know, think of the the feelings and the emotions that come with being recognized publicly. When this happens, when someone is recognized, we we can see the glow in their faces, can't we? People light up. When they take center stage, when their dreams are accomplished. It's glorious when this happens, and many of us chase it, but we chase it on the wrong level. As I watched last week's Super Bowl, and I have to say I was going for KC, I was reminded of the glorious accomplishments of the quarterback Tom Brady. I mean, he's the greatest of all time, isn't he? He's seven Super Bowls. You know, most NFL players don't even get one. How can one one person get seven? It's it's amazing. It's glorious. And and the most glorious moment for a football star, right, is to walk up that podium, to ascend those steps, to receive that prize and to hear the words, you are champions. That's it. That's the highest Level and, and Brady has gotten there seven times. But as I actually, as I watched this, I was reminded of an interview that uh, Brady, Brady had many years ago after three of his Super Bowl titles, where he said this. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think that there's something greater out there for me? Maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, there's got to be more than this. The interviewer responds, what's the answer? Brady throws up his arms and says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. And as I watched Brady receive that trophy last week, I just wondered if he was still searching for that answer. If the seventh title scratched the itch for recognition, or if he realized he was searching for it on the wrong level, what is it for us? What applause are you chasing? Is it from people, or is it from God? What this transfiguration shows us is that we were made for more. We were made for the recognition on the highest level, for God to look at us and say, I love you. Anything else won't cut it. And C.S. Lewis sums this up. He says this, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the holiday at the sea. What Lewis is saying is that Super Bowl titles are mud pies next to the recognition, the glory that's offered to us in a relationship with Jesus. See, the reason why from from, People don't satisfy us this is because we were made for more. We were made for acceptance from God. We were made to be welcomed into the dance of the Trinity. But the big fat question that we're met with is how do we get there? If all of our attempts at purity are, are, are come up short, if all of our apl- looking for applause is at the wrong level, then how can we get there? How can we scratch that itch? well it isn't by chasing glory it's by receiving jesus glory for jesus the transfiguration wasn't an isolated event it it wasn't meant to be seen on its own it was a revelation it was an appetizer to the main course. Jesus was showing his disciples who he really was in all his glory. But if he'd only done that, if he'd only torn back the curtain and showed them his glory, then Christianity would be like any other religion. And Jesus would be saying to them, be like me. Model your life after me and this is what will happen to you. But that's not the message. In fact, Jesus assures his disciples, he says, Don't tell anybody about this until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. See, Jesus connects the transfiguration to the cross. He tells his disciples that you won't be able to make sense of any of this, you won't be able to, to really grasp what's going on here until after I've risen. Because Jesus didn't come to earth to show God's glory and hide it again. No, 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 no. He came. He came to empty himself of it. See, Jesus let his glory spill all over the kitchen table and into all of our lives. You see, on the cross, on the cross is where he emptied himself. On the cross is where he traded his glory for our shame. It's where he traded his light for our darkness. The cross tells us that the perfection that we long for, the purity that we wish we had is ours through Jesus. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus who knew no sin became sin for us. Why? Why? That we may become the righteousness of God, the righteousness, the rightness, the perfection, the purity. It's, it's ours that means, that means, that means that, like, that the depression that surrounds us is not an eternal thing. That means that the the porn addiction doesn't get the last word that means that the constant you know day in and day out messing up and screwing up is not what defines us in the eyes of god it's it's jesus it's him jesus took all of our brokenness all of our sin all of our darkness upon himself when he went to the cross he traded his light For our darkness he also traded the recognition recognition and applause from god for silence and rejection and jesus famously cried out my god my god why have you forsaken me it was that moment that he was cast out of the inner circle he was not recognized by his own father He did this so we could be welcomed in. So through faith in Christ, we can hear those words that God said of Jesus on that mountain I love you. You are my son. You are my daughter. You see, Buddha's last words were, Strive without ceasing. But Jesus' last words were, It is finished. And he traded his applause for silence so that we can rest we can rest from striving We can know that we that it is finished That in christ God Sees us and loves us and accepts us into the heart of things What about right now what? difference does this make now? I mean, our world is so complicated, but we know we received the promised spirit, God's personal presence now, that there is a God at work in each one of us. And the transfiguration buys us time, gives us patience, In a COVID season where all of our productivity or our ministry, all of our lives seem to be put on hold, where we can't quite catch a glimpse of anything, we can rest in the cross. Things are not the way that they seem. The head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. The world that COVID has descended on will not have the final word. It is finished. So we can rest. We can also ask the question, God, what are you inviting us into What are you inviting me into? Where are you showing me your glory in this season? Where are you challenging me to change, to be purified? What if this season was one where we ascend the mountain and rest in the transfiguration? Only to come down as different people. But the transfiguration doesn't just give us rest in our moments day in and day out. It also tells us of where we're all headed. I'll use an illustration from marriage. Here's what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person and get a glimpse of the person God is creating and say, I see who God is making you and it excites me. I want to be a part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey you are taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and I, and I will say, I always knew you could be like this. I got glimpses of it on earth. But now, look at you. What if God is so excited about what you are becoming? He wants to see you every day take hold of this in new ways more and more And he won't give up on you. He won't stop until you are in all your magnificence Stop chasing glory Receive it By faith in jesus and let him chase out all the darkness in you Let's pray Father thank you for ripping the veil back, showing us your true nature that you spilled all over us and our world. Father, help us as we often find ourselves like Peter, not knowing what we're saying or doing. Help us to see you see you in each other to see you in ourselves father give us a grace for each of us when we when we do fall short of the glory of god help us to understand that we are works in progress people but we are filled with your spirit that never gives up, that never abandons, and that always, always leads us back to you. In Jesus we pray. Amen.